We're working our way through John. And we're talking today about the living bread. If you were here last week, you remember uh, uh, John is setting up the account for today. We looked at the feeding of the 5,000. And the reality is Jesus cares for our daily needs. And bread, you remember in this day, was a staple. They couldn't have imagined all the options we have for food. And for those of you who are opposed to eating carbs, uh, bread is, just go with me today, bread is a good thing. Then we had this text we suggested last week that, that in the middle of feeding 5,000, we're going to talk about Jesus bringing the bread of life today. He injects this story about Jesus walking on the water. And again, in John's mind, as he puts this story together, telling us about Jesus, Jesus takes care of our daily needs. He, he gives us bread. But what about when the storms of life hit? What good is bread in a storm of life? And the point again was, you remember Jesus saying, it is I, as he walked up to them in the water, do not be afraid. It's his presence. It's the relationship with him. And that's what we're talking about today. And we talk a lot about that in evangelicalism. Relationship with Jesus. I've asked lots of people over the years, so tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And they talk about, well, I'm on the, I'm on the softball team. I, I teach Sunday school, and that's not really my question. How are you doing you and Jesus? And I think we can get into this thing where we participate in church, we're involved in church, it's a healthy thing. But, but the key to life is, is Jesus. And that's what this text is about today. He did all these miracles to point to the fact that his greatest desire is to meet our greatest need, whatever that be. And he himself, that relationship with him is the provision. So you're here today and you treasure Christ and you're walking with Christ and by and large life is good. But there's still some things that ache and hurt. The solution is for today. You're here today and you're trying to figure out who Jesus is. In this world that is messed up and, and with technology, we get a more clear view more often of how messed up this world is. And you're trying to figure out who Jesus is. I think this text is for you. Still trying to decide whether or not this guy is the real deal. Now, I'm going to do something different today than I've ever done in any other message. The way we typically prepare this is we study the Bible in preparation for Sunday mornings, and we're looking for the author's intent. What's the big idea that God inspired these human authors to write? In this case, it would be John. Then we talk about and think about how does it apply? Then the sermon or the message is how do we package that? How do we put those ideas together? Now, you'll notice if you're a part of RCC, we often go back to the text in that packaging because we want y'all to be confident. We're not making this stuff up. We believe this stuff came from the Bible. We want you to see that. So I had an outline that I thought was pretty good in some general ways, but we're dealing with a text that has a lot of ideas. And they weave back and forth through a lot of verses. And it's in one excursus, it's in one conversation that Jesus has. But there's a lot of ideas here. Now, I want you to not forget, Jesus is talking to people that he's trying to get to treasure him. John is writing a book so that people would believe in Jesus. Now, we can look at this and go, there's a lot of thoughtful ideas in here. It's too complicated. 
Don't forget the context. There's some truth here that is life transforming and life changing. But here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to read the text once. Never done this in 35 years. This could be one and done. We're just going to read through it verse by verse, and I'm going to pull it apart. We're going to get to the end, and I hope to have a little application. So this could be the one and only time that I just walked through this. Is this making sense? If you got your Bible in front of you, you look at it. I got it on a PowerPoint, but we're just going to walk through it, and, and I'm just going to tell you what I think Jesus is saying here and what John's trying, trying to say. So, Lord, we want to eat of you. That's the key. And there's so many things that are easier. There's so many things that can distract us. Just quite frankly, it's sometimes work to eat of you. But Father, there's no greater benefit. There's no greater joy. There's no greater hope. And comes from truly eating of you. So I pray... However, whatever I do, however that goes, I pray for everyone here that you'll provide them some spiritual nourishment in our time here. My prayer is that all of us will have a meal of Jesus. Ask this in his name. Amen. So here's where we're going to go. I'll break it apart into five big ideas as we go, but then we're just going to walk through the text once if you have questions talk to anybody else on staff and they'll be able to fix it <laughs> jesus is going to start here we dealt with it last week but we too often get too focused on jesus provision for our daily needs i shared with you last week and it is my deep deep conviction it's harder for us to avoid this today than it was to the people that jesus was talking about because Jesus has just been so stinking good. We got so much stuff. They needed food to eat, and he fed over 5,000. Us, food, not much of a challenge. God has been so good. Picking up the text. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, Jesus had met the disciples in the boat, remember, saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. This is big. But that his disciples had gone away alone. You remember, they went in the boat and Jesus walked out on the water. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Another way to put this was, how did you get here? Now, how did Jesus get there if we've been reading along? He was walking on the water, and then he got in the boat. Now, this is a great opportunity for Jesus to tell them, hey, I walked on the, boat, on the, boat, uh, walked on the water. The disciples, who were pretty, quite frankly, wusses, were afraid, and I told them, it is I. Do not be afraid. It's a wonderful opportunity for him to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jesus, in one sense here, is a little rude because he doesn't answer the question. I ask people questions regularly that they don't answer. You know what I do is? You didn't actually ask to answer my question. 
Here was the, the, the question. Now, you're saying, Todd, people do that to you? You have never directly answered one of my questions. But that's a pastor's prerogative. You just say, it's like a politician. We just say what we want to say without answering the question. But notice Jesus' response here, because he's going to turn it to what he does want to say. How'd you get here? We don't know. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. He had seen them feed over 5,000. That's why they're following him. What Jesus is saying is the sign was to point to something more significant. It had a spiritual truth to it. You guys, I would add dunderheads. Jesus is much more kind. Says you are missing it. But because you ate your fill of the loaves. I'm going to say it again, and this will be the last time. Because God has been so gracious to us as a people at this point in life. You guys know there's still a war in Ukraine going on, right? Does it make the news anymore? Isn't it crazy? For a little while it's got our attention. But God has been so good to us. We have been so, and I don't use this word very often, so stinking blessed. I think it's almost impossible for us not to be preoccupied with material things. Because we got so much stuff. You guys are here because I fed you and they needed food. There were no alternatives for them when they're out there listening to Jesus. Do not work for the food that perishes. And he's obviously not saying don't work at all. God says you sit at home and do nothing. God's going to provide for you. Part of the way God provides for us is working. Do not work for the food that perishes. Don't live for that. We still live for the stuff of this life. And then we're going to get to retirement. Where hopefully we have 5, 10, 15, 20 years where we do squat. It's what people live for. How many times do you talk to people, hey, how you doing? I'm just looking forward to the weekend. God has been so good to us. Do not work for that food. Don't live for this stuff. But for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the Son of Man, Jesus himself, God has set his seal, his approval. That's been going on through the whole thing, and they're not seeing it. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're understanding him. They're getting it. This is cool. Finally, their lives are going to be turned around. And the rest of this is the answering to that question. What do we need to do to be doing the works of God? And the idea, no surprise for I hope anybody that's a part of RCC, Jesus is the only provision for our deepest need. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he, he, in whom he has sent. End the message, end the sermon, there it is. Now, John wrote a long book. We have sermons every week. You know why? Because this is not that obvious. 
We use those words that are so familiar. You have heard me say before, and it is still my deep conviction in our culture, we have equated belief with intellectual assent. As long as I get, you know, Jesus' birth, born of a virgin, that he died and rose from the dead, I'm good. I go to church, I'm good. I pay my taxes, I'm good. What does it really mean to believe? I believe from Genesis to Revelation, this whole Bible is unpacking this truth. Because it gets misunderstood, it gets simplified, and the joy that really comes with walking with Jesus gets missed. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, in me. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, have them, have, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, you got to love this. They just saw over 5,000 people fed. 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. you got to love this. Yeah. So we were fairly impressed. Moses, Moses, he got bread from heaven. You took five loaves and two fishes. You got them from a kid. Moses, 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 he got bread from heaven. You fed us once. It was nice. We were happy to have the food. Moses got bread from heaven. Forty years of bread came from heaven. What are you going to do to up your game? What are you going to do to really demonstrate that we should believe in you? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It came through Moses, the primary leader, but it was, you guys are giving Moses too much credit. But my father, the guy who endorses me, who's put a seal on me, he's the one that gives you the true bread from heaven. Contrasting that now with the manna. For the bread of God is he. Important here. He's referencing himself. Speaking metaphorically, which everybody, Nicodemus, the woman at the well, they don't catch on to very fast, including these guys. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's the bread. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now I'm pretty confident they're still thinking pretty literally. You remember the woman at the well? I can give you living water. How are you going to do that? You don't even have a bucket. Now he's talking about bread and they're going, you're saying we're going to get something better than the manna that Moses gave to the people. And Jesus said to them again, I am the bread of life. There's the idea. A staple which if you're a carb avoider and just so many options today, these words I think mean less to us. These folks had to have bread to survive. I am the bread of life. Without bread, most folks in that day and age went hungry. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now they've asked two questions that convey to some degree they're trying to think about it and process it. But I said to you that you have seen me, the living bread, and yet you do not believe. Then he's going to throw in a deeper theological truth here as he talks to these people that are rejecting him. And here's what he wants them to understand. It's not just up to you. You need to do your thinking. You need to do your work. You need to process this ideas and the truth. I'm here to reveal it to you. But there's more than just your understanding at stake here. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. So what percentage of the people that the Father gives to Jesus are actually going to come to him? What percentage? 100. Now who's Jesus sharing this with? people he's trying to get to follow him and believe does he know who those folks are do we have any idea who those folks are we do not this is a big difference between us and Jesus he's trying to tell him there's more going on here than what's going on just in your heads you guys think this is all just up to you outsmarting everybody else All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. God in his grace and in his sovereignty and in his love, and Jesus will hold on to everyone. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will. It's not in opposition to his own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, I and the Father, you think I'm opposed to the Father. I'm actually just executing what he wanted me to do. And this is the will of him who sent me. Notice again, going back to the sovereignty of God in this process. And he's talking to those who as of yet don't believe that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. No one. But raise it up at the last day. A reference on the judgment. All those the Father brings to me, I'm going to keep them. And on that judgment day, it's going to be great for them. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Now notice here the integration. It causes us intellectual attention. But notice here the integration of God working and us believing. They go together. That everyone, verse 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So how many of the folks that come to Jesus are going to experience a glorious day at his return? Everyone. Jesus is the bread that gives us eternal life. So the Jews grumbled about him because they said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're trying to figure out. They're trying to believe this. This is where we have an extraordinary advantage, given the scriptures we have of what happened. They wouldn't have necessarily known about the virgin birth. And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Now, I want you to notice where he references again. It's a hard one for us. 
the power of God in this process. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's how people actually see this light. God the Father does a work. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. You guys think this idea of sovereignty of God is a New Testament idea. It's just from me. Paul writes about a lot. It's an Old Testament idea. He's talking to people who in that day and age were thought to know the Old Testament. It is written in the prophets, a quote from Isaiah 54, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me when God works in their heart. Not that anyone has seen the Father, <laughs> he's, he's a spirit, except he who is from God himself, he has seen the Father, Jesus. So truly, truly, I say to you, and here's the emphasis, whoever believes has eternal life. And back to this key idea here, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread, the staple of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. It was a miracle of God intended for their provision so that they could survive because God cares about your needs. Just like what Jesus did with the over 5,000 and giving them bread. But that kind of bread, you're still going to die. This, the bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus himself, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am that living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now he's pointing here to his crucifixion. You got to eat of me. You got to eat of me. You got to eat of me. And the bread that I will give for the life is my life. Jesus gave his life to be living bread for us. And this is where the text again can get a little funky if we don't read it in the context. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews, I think understandably, is he promoting cannibalism? They're having trouble when Jesus goes to these figures of speech. Nicodemus had trouble. The woman at the well had trouble. These guys are having trouble. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? That's opposed to all kinds of Old Testament teachings. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Here's the key. You're dealing with some storms in your life? You want to find a little more comfort, a little more peace, a little more still? Eat Jesus. 
So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I'm going to try and show here unmistakably that this is figurative and intended figuratively, and then I'll come back, I think, to the implication. If you go back to verse 40, I want you to notice how verse 40 and 54 The basic premise and ideas are almost identical. Here's the teaching. Here's the truth. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see it? Now we're going to jump to verse 54, where he's using a metaphor for what he said about belief. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. See it there? Eating here of Jesus is just a metaphor. I think there are two truths he's trying to convey. The first one, he's going to give his life. He's going to die. Now, people could say here it's pointing to communion. Communion's pointing to these words. He's not trying to promote the celebration of the Eucharist here. He's telling us about the key to life, which communion symbolizes this symbol. But he ain't promoting communion primarily. He's trying to help us understand. For my flesh is the true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, he keeps going here, and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is the answer. How many of you eat three meals a day? May I see your hands? I actually find snacks between even more satisfying. We're right into a crowd that ate bread every day. And when he talks about eating him, he's talking about nutritious meals regularly. He's talking about communing with Jesus. This 21st century Jesus, you got to love this. We get to go ding around, enjoy all this material stuff, and then kind of we go to Jesus when we feel like it. We'll snack on him once in a while. Jesus is saying, you want to have this life? You got to feed on me. You got to be connected to me. Otherwise, we're just like these folks. Change my circumstances and make my life easier. And David's, Jesus is saying, just connect with me. Be with me. Love me. You got to eat me. Metaphorically speaking. There's the key to life. This Jesus we keep in our back pocket when our circumstances in this materialistic world doesn't quite go the way we want, we're going to find 
less satisfaction. So here's my encouragement. If you're treasuring Jesus, you're eating of Jesus regularly, and you're enjoying him, and the challenges of life come, and you're going, he is with me in this. It causes grief. It causes sorrow. I pray for my circumstances to be changed, but, but man, that connection with him is what helps me endure. Praise God. The Father has drawn you to Jesus. There's a supernatural miracle that has occurred. Your life has been transformed because we figured it out. How did we figure it out? God moved in our hearts. I tell you, if you're here today and you're treasuring Christ, there isn't anything for which we can be more thankful than that God moved in our hearts to help us see the truth of him. Because without that, we wouldn't have figured it out on our own. That's what Jesus wants us to see. If you're here today and you're thinking about treasuring Jesus, God is working in your life. You still may be wrestling to believe whether or not he's working in your life. But if you're trying to figure out who this Jesus is, we are thrilled you're here. We're thrilled you're online wherever you're listening to this. This is cool. Here's our confidence. God is working. If you're treasuring Jesus, the bread of life, eat more regularly, and let's eat more nutritiously. I love fast food. Here's what I love about it. It tastes good and it's easy. What could be wrong with that? I think spiritually sometimes we're drawn to spiritual fast food. The articles in the books, they're not bad necessarily. They're just not all that nutritious. We cook at home, and it's one of the two of us, not Julie. It's Julie or me. I'm not going to tell you which one. When we cook at home and eat more nutritiously, it's a lot more work for one of us. It takes effort. So does eating of Jesus. See a couple of doctors out there? I've got one I know very well. Every year he essentially says eat more nutritiously. Because the cost to not. Let's eat of Jesus more often. If you eat three meals a day, let's maybe eat of Jesus more often than we are. And eat the good stuff. It's what our life groups are about around here. You ever noticed how fun it is to eat with friends? That's what our life groups are intended to be. We sit down with others and we eat of Jesus together. Ah, that's, oh man, how good is this to eat of Jesus with other folks? Other ways to do it. I'd encourage you to eat Jesus by yourself. I have many meals by myself. You understand, I do not miss, I mean, I can forget appointments, I can forget all kinds of things. I never forget a meal. It's how we live. And if you're thinking about treasuring Jesus, whatever you're doing thus far, 
keep eating. Keep snacking. Keep going after him. Because there is nothing that satisfies like having this intimate relationship with God. Does it take effort? The benefits of which are immeasurable. That's what we're here to do, to help one another eat of Jesus. So here's what I'm going to suggest you do very practically. Take these verses, or maybe some other verses in the passage we looked at today. I'd encourage you to make them your screensaver. For those of you over 60, find one of the young people and they can help you do this. Here's my encouragement for this week. Wherever you are in this spiritual journey, remembering this is metaphorical, this is figurative. Before every meal, they got your phone, read this screensaver. At breakfast, at lunch, at dinner. Now, if I added snacks to that, I'd probably be looking about nine times a day. But this Jesus loves us. He cares about the practical things in our life. He wants to be with us in the storms of life. But if we're going to enjoy this life to its fullest, if we're going to experience the happiness that he intends, that comes from pointing people to him and enjoying him, Here's the key. Eating Jesus. Take some effort. Here's what I guarantee you. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that will be more productive or better for us. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us Jesus. He is the bread of life. Father, help us all to eat of him more regularly. Oh, you are so, so good to us. And we're in a world that spiritually is starving. Father, we're grateful for what we've already enjoyed of your son. But we're convinced there's more. And we're also convinced the more we eat of Jesus the more fully we will display his love and grace to those who are literally starving. Father, fill us with the food that will keep us from ever being hungry and for, forever from being thirsty. 